Uh, we're starting a new uh, s- series of messages for Lent. And uh, so you want to turn to Colossians chapter 3. It's in the New Testament part of your Bible, page 1235. Um, Colossians chapter 3. This is kind of our theme verse for these six weeks, six or seven weeks. Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. And it goes like this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And now turn to Matthew chapter 20. It's a little bit earlier in your Bibles. Page 1030. Matthew chapter 20. Beginning with verse 29, we're going to look a little more closely at compassion. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. I think I can probably summarize the sermon from Matthew 20 in probably just three sentences. Jesus is compassionate. We are followers of Jesus. We should be compassionate too. That's it, right? I mean, it's, it's basic stuff. It's not all that complicated. We talk about this stuff all the time here. Jesus is a model for how we should live. Who here thinks that followers of Jesus should not be compassionate? Just hold your hand up high. This is not in dispute. And yet, if you look at the story today, there's this strange... Wrinkle. It's verse 31. The the blind men are crying for mercy, and the crowd does what? The crowd rebukes them, tells them to be quiet. Now, this crowd, verse 29, tells us a couple things about this crowd. First, it tells us the crowd was large. 
And second, it tells us that they were following Jesus. I guess you might say they were followers of Jesus. These were people who liked Jesus' teaching. They found him interesting and inspiring. They were followers of Jesus, but rather than being compassionate themselves, they actively tried to stop compassion. They may say, well, hold on a minute there, Pastor. I mean, just because they were following Jesus doesn't mean they're followers of Jesus. Okay. Except this has come up before in the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 15, this Canaanite woman is coming to Jesus desperate for help with her daughter. And it says, Jesus' disciples came to Jesus and urged Him to send her away. Chapter 19, kind of a famous passage, people are bringing their children to Jesus. It says the disciples rebuked those bringing their children. Chapter 26, a woman comes up to Jesus at dinner with a jar of perfume. She pours it on his head, and it says when the disciples saw this, they were indignant, and they complained to Jesus about her. Multiple times in the account of Matthew, followers of Jesus, even dedicated disciples, inner circle here, seem to actually get in the way of compassion. They try to block people from getting to Jesus. Why would anyone do that? Does that not strike anybody else as bizarre? Why would anybody do that? Why would this crowd tell these blind men to be quiet in Jesus' presence? I have a few theories. We'll try them on for size, see if any of them ring true. Maybe Jesus was really on a roll with his teaching that afternoon. I like to think this happens to me sometimes, that... uh, Everything's like really firing on all cylinders, you know, and like making this really helpful point. You're all like on the edge of your seat, hanging on every word that I'm saying. And then, you know, the guy in the front row, right, like Corey stands up, right, and he does the slow walk to the bathroom, right? And everybody's like following him all the way out, right? They're not, they're not up here, right? They're following Corey all the way out. And I'm like, come on, man, you couldn't wait like two minutes? It's just about to get to the good part. Right? Maybe these blind men just had bad timing. Just exactly the wrong time to interrupt Jesus. Or, you know, I was thinking maybe these guys have a reputation in the community. That seems possible to me. Um, I mean, we really don't know anything about them in particular. Uh, maybe, they're, maybe they're hard drinkers. Uh, maybe they've got criminal records. Maybe, maybe they've been harassing people along this road for years. And, and maybe the thinking in the town is that if you stop and listen to them, you're only going to encourage them to harass more people. Or maybe there's, like a, maybe there's another kind of history here. Maybe, maybe some of the folks in the community, maybe they tried to help these guys in the past. So maybe the town like pooled their money, they got these guys jobs, and they got them an apartment, and, and they set them up with like a, a visit to the eye doctor. Right? So maybe they, they tried to help him. 
But then the men got fired from their job because they showed up late every day. Or maybe they got evicted from their apartment because they trashed the place. Or maybe that doctor's appointment, maybe they never even showed up for it. Maybe the town was just fed up. Maybe these guys have a reputation. They just want attention. They don't really want to be helped. Any of these theories seem plausible to you? I have found that no one is against compassion in theory. But when it comes to real people, real people that you even know, and maybe especially people that you know, compassion is quite a bit easier in theory than in practice. Maybe think of this story I heard once about Mother Teresa and I should say, I, I tried Googling for this thing like all week long. I can't find any record of this story. So it might have been just made up. Um, but this is how I remember it. And it really fits. So bear with me. So Mother Teresa, right? This great saint helping the, the poorest of the poor in Calcutta. Um, the story goes that she was scheduled to speak uh, to this large crowd in New York City. Uh, but when it was time for her to, to go up to the podium and speak, she wasn't at the venue. Like Ten minutes. 20 minutes, you know, folks are getting restless. 30 minutes later, she finally shows up. And it turns out there had been like a handful of beggars outside the venue. And you want to guess what happened? It's Mother Teresa, right? She stopped and she helped them because it's Mother Teresa. And the irony of the story, and maybe this is why it's not true, it's almost too perfect, right? But the irony, of course, is that this room full of New Yorkers who admired Mother Teresa and, and who found her compassion so inspiring, and, and all these people who loved the idea of compassion, had all walked past the same beggars because they didn't want to be late to hear this inspiring message about caring for the poor. I don't know if that story is true, but it sounds like it could be true, doesn't it? It is so much easier to go to a speech about compassion than it is to be compassionate. It is so much easier to post about a cause on Facebook or to share a meme with some inspirational quote about serving others than it is to serve others. Probably worth saying, it's also easier to preach a sermon about compassion than to do it yourself. I think it is almost certainly the case that most of us like the idea of compassion quite a bit more than actually being compassionate. You, of course, know what the problem is if we only like the idea of compassion. The problem is we will spend a lifetime waiting for that ideal moment, that ideal person to have compassion on. So they'll be poor, but their poverty will not be their fault. They'll be virtuous. They'll have a good work ethic. They'll be good stewards of money. They'll just have had a run of bad luck. They'll never complain, but they'll always be super grateful and so happy that you're there. They'll ask for your help between 2 and 4, 
on the third Saturday of the month, except for this month you have a conflict, but otherwise they'll ask for help between two and four on the third Saturday. Ideally, they'll live far away. Because you wouldn't want to run into them on a Tuesday or a Thursday. That would be awkward. If we only ever like the idea of compassion, we will spend a lifetime waiting for that ideal moment and that ideal person to have compassion on. And of course, we will be waiting for a very long time, won't we? Because that person does not exist. Or if they do exist, you probably won't find them between two and four a week from next Saturday. We're Christians, right? Um, We love the idea of being compassionate. In theory, at least in our heads, we believe it is the best way to live. Outside our heads? It's another story. It's just why it's interesting to me that the word for compassion in Greek, the word in Colossians and the word here in Matthew, you may have heard this before, the word for compassion in Greek is splagnizomai. Isn't that interesting? Which, of course, you all know comes from the root word splagnon. Everybody say, splagnon. Splagnon. Anyone know what splagnon means? I I give you a hint. I brought a prop. Um, Anybody? It's your guts. It's your intestines. Isn't this good? I made that on Friday. Um... We, we don't have enough science teachers in the church. I was going to borrow, you know, one of those, like, models, you know, where you can take the guts out. And... Anyway, these are lays from, I think, the camp out last summer. But... It's your insides. It's your intestines. The word for compassion in Greek doesn't mean you have good thoughts towards a person. Uh, or that you have the right, like, political opinion about a group of people. It doesn't mean you have good intentions to help. It literally means you feel something deeper. It means you have intestines for someone. Or the way we say it, you have a heart for them. You know, I find there there are so many people who have the right theories about helping others. And they, they say the right things and they know the best practices and yet their good intentions get stuck right here in their heads. There's a school of thought that the, the reason people aren't kinder to one another, the reason there's not more love in the world is because people lack the necessary information. Like if only people knew more. Like if only, if only they knew more about people who are homeless or people with addictions or, or people who are refugees or people who are immigrants. Like whatever group it is. Like if only people were more aware. There'd be more love. There'd be more kindness. 
And to a point, that's true. Uh, awareness is good. You know, a lack of awareness about a lot of groups and issues, it seems kind of scary right now, how much that seems to be happening. But awareness has its limits. And I've noticed that sometimes in our zeal to raise awareness about the virtue of some marginalized group of people, we overstate the case. So we make this group out to be just this group of saints. Perfectly deserving, just misunderstood saints. Which in my experience is fine until you actually get to know a real person. And what happens then? Well, it turns out that for those groups, just like for us, the truth is usually quite a bit more complicated. We're not all just misunderstood saints. Sometimes a person we might extend compassion to is quite rude. Or entitled. Or angry. Sometimes you finally get to know a real particular person and you realize they're kind of awful. Sometimes knowing more about someone, sometimes being more more aware, it makes someone harder to love, not easier. Sometimes the arguments against helping someone are way more compelling than the arguments to help someone. That's why I like the splagnon. Because I don't think that compassion very often arises first up here. I don't think we really get involved and get our hands dirty and take risks because we really reasoned it out and like weighed the costs and the benefits and, and calculated this person indeed is needy and worthy. If your motivation for kindness is based only on awareness, I think your compassion will tend to be pretty superficial. Be a volunteer day here or like a Facebook post there, but not much more than just virtue signaling. In my experience, for there to be true compassion, there's almost always something deeper going on. It's not just because someone made a good argument. It's a feeling in your gut that this is just what needs to be done. Maybe that's why Matthew tells us that Jesus had splagnon for these men. Maybe Jesus knew all their baggage. He knew in his head their history, their unreliability, their sins, their flaws. Maybe he knew all things being equal. No, they didn't deserve help. Jesus' action toward them is not described as a rational decision of the mind. Where he laid out the pros and cons and developed a cost-benefit analysis, it was an action of his splagnon. He just had a heart for them. I think it shows even in the fact that he touched their eyes. That wasn't necessary. This is Jesus. It's like a bunch of times he just says the word and someone's healed. He touches their eyes. You know, some scholars think that blindness back then would probably have often been associated with uh, bleeding and other leakages from the eyes. Really gross stuff. Jesus touches them. 
Right there. That seems to me like it must have been his heart that compelled him to, to take that one unnecessary but still meaningful step. It's the extra mile. I think that's splagnon. Sometimes I think knowledge and awareness, they're only going to get us so far. I think when it comes to how we really act, it's often not, what it, not what's in your head that counts. It's what's in your splagnon. Which is why I think what we Christians need first is not more information or a change of mind. What we need is a conversion of something deeper. And for a Christian, that conversion starts with the cross of Jesus. You know, when Jesus went up on that cross for you and me, I don't think He did it because He knew deep down we were really good people. That we were just misunderstood. And He just witnessed this enormous crowd of good religious people screaming out for His execution. Crucify Him! Crucify! I don't think he did it because he thought we really just deserved a break. I think everything in his head must have been telling him that these people aren't actually worth it. That voice in his head must have been telling him they're unreliable. They are going to let you down. There were a thousand reasons not to go up on that cross. And just one reason he did it. He so loved this world. A love like that cannot be very easily explained with words. On a practical note, that's why churches don't just preach words about Jesus' love, but it's why we also eat the bread and drink the juice of his sacrifice. Jesus didn't come to this world to change our mind about something. He aimed for something deeper. He wanted to change our hearts. I think there's something about true compassion which requires really the suspension of our usual notions of who deserves what. It can't be based on who we think deserves what. It Compassion is not calculated that way. Certainly wasn't calculated that way for Jesus. And I think that's why compassion is the first virtue that a Christian is clothed with in Colossians 3. Because it's the virtue with the clearest link to the therefore line in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and what? Dearly loved. That was not some empty sentimentality. It wasn't just some guy with good intentions. It was deep down. It was deep enough to die for us. 
because we are that dearly loved. Let us clothe ourselves with compassion. Let's pray together. Lord, convert our splagnon. Lord, it is so easy for us to love ourselves and our tribe and our privileges and our power. We can hold so tightly to what we have. Lord, give us a heart for something deeper, something bigger. Give us a heart for you. And in giving us a heart for you, Lord, may we have a heart for those around us that moves past uh, superficial and token expressions of love and that even gets our hands dirty. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand if you're able. We're going to sing together.